Hi everyone, we've got um, two Bible readings this morning, starting off in Leviticus, chapter 19, starting at verse 1, and it's on page um, 85 in the church Bibles. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect his mother and father and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make gods of cast metal for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because he has desecrated what is holy to the Lord. That person must be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And now we're going to go over to Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse... 38 of Matthew chapter 5, which is on page 684. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Last week, we saw that one of the reasons that Jesus had come into the world was to fulfill the law, to write the law onto our hearts, we saw so that we might be sons and daughters of God who want what God wants, who go beyond the mere letter of the law 
to its purpose, love. And so last week, we saw that Jesus actually gave some examples of what this looks like. We saw that God wants sons and daughters who don't harbour hate, but reconcile. We saw that God wants sons and daughters who aren't sexually unfaithful, but take drastic action. We saw that God wants sons and daughters who don't speak lies, but speak the truth. And this week, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus continues on and gives us some more examples of what it looks like to see the law fulfilled. And the first thing that we see is that God wants sons and daughters who don't aggressively pursue their rights, but are generous. So have a look at 5 verse 38. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Where have they heard this before? Well, from Scripture, from the law. Again, here, Jesus quotes the law. So he quotes Leviticus 24, verse 19. Anyone who injures their neighbour is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. The purpose of this law was to limit vengeance, to, to stop things escalating. You know, um, things often go like this in life. You slapped me, I'll punch you. You kicked me, I'll hit you with this club. You know, you hit me with this club, I'll stab you with this knife. Sometimes it just goes, you bumped me, I'll kill you. But generally things slowly escalate up and up and up. The law says that the very minimum of love is to not let things escalate. The law said, let the punishment be in line with the crime. But Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, and again, Jesus speaks from his own authority here, and he says, do not resist an evil person. Jesus says, love does not resist an evil person. Does that sound a little bit strange? I mean, why would letting an evil person have their way be love. Let's have a look at some of the examples that Jesus gives and see if they explain what he means. Jesus gives three examples where we shouldn't resist or set ourselves against an evil person. And in all three situations, there's some kind of hostile force that opposes us. We see the first hostile situation in verse 39. Jesus says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So where someone is is physically hostile to us, love drives us not to seek their harm, not to repay their, their crime with an equal slap, not even to run away, love drives us to turn the other cheek. Jesus says that love does not answer hostility with hostility, love answers hostility with generosity. When someone's striking you in the face, it's very hard to love. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. I have. When I was at high school, another kid walked up to me and punched me in the face. Before I knew what I was doing, I was punching him in the face. It's very hard in this situation to not throw punches back. It's pretty intense, isn't it? Turning the other cheek. 
If you're like me, then, then you've got a thousand questions running through your head. Do you know the kind of questions I mean? You know, what if I'm looking after a kindergarten class and we're all holding tiny baby endangered fluffy seals and then someone, you know those kind of scenarios? Am I the only one who has them? Looks like I am. But before we, we think about those kind of difficult scenarios, let's feel the weight of what we're called to. As a son or a daughter of God, we're called to be those who would prefer to be harmed than to pursue the harm of someone else. Jesus is asking for enormous generosity from us, isn't he? He gives two more examples of how love responds to hostility. The next one's in verse 40. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Love drives us to be generous with our possessions and generous with our time and energy, even to the person who's hostile to us, who sues us or forces us to do something. The minimum of love might be no escalation, but Jesus calls us to a righteousness that goes beyond the letter of the law to its fulfillment. Last week, we saw that love looks like seeking reconciliation. But this week, Jesus says, where hostility remains and reconciliation is not possible, love says, I would prefer to sacrifice my rights, prefer even to sacrifice my body, than oppose you. That's extreme generosity towards other people. Jesus then goes on to say that even when we're not compelled by someone, we're still compelled by love to be generous. Look at verse 42. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow you. Is this how we live? Are we generous towards other people? Generous with our possessions? Generous with our time and energy? Generous in our attitudes? Are we prepared to sacrifice our rights for other people? Even when they're hostile to us? Because if, if we're not generous towards people in the everyday kind of situations, it's not really much use thinking about the imaginary scenarios. Generosity, it starts with your attitude towards others. And it ends with being prepared to be harmed rather than to harm another. Generosity towards others means we must never seek revenge. We must never seek the harm of another. But it does not mean that Christians must never resort to violence. I love the idea of pacifism, don't you? I mean, I love the idea of heaven, so of course I love the idea of pacifism. You know, heaven where there'll be no war and no violence forever. But it would be a mistake to use this passage, like some people do, to justify pacifism. Did you notice the example of um, physical hostility that Jesus uses? It's not somebody gouging out your eye, is it? It's not somebody pulling out your tooth. It's a slap on the cheek. Why this example? See, I, I would prefer you to slap me than to gouge out my eye or, or pull out my tooth. Why would Jesus give the example of a slap over something much more destructive? Well, where is a slap most at home? I've got a couple of scenarios to help you think this through. Brian's going to help me. 
Welcome to the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. How can I help you? This is a robbery. Give me all your money or I'll slap you. You'll slap me? Yes, I'll slap you. Well, I'm not going to give you any money. <laughs> That's the first scenario. Second scenario. Uh, hey, old lady, give me your bag. Hey, 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 hey. What's going on here? Stay out of this or I'll slap you. You'll slap me? Yes, I'll slap you. <laughs> Third scenario. <laughs> you know what's great on a road trip? Listening to Celine Dion. Thank you, Brian. Where was the slap most at home? Celine Dion, of course. It's not great on a road trip, it's not great anytime. See, what type of violence is a slap? It's an insult. A slap is an insult expressing itself physically. It's, it's about being offensive. Later in Matthew, we actually see this kind of awful slap. In Matthew 26, verse 67, we read, Then they spat in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? See, they slap Jesus as a complete insult to him. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he's saying, be willing to take the insult, even if it's physical. He's saying, sacrifice yourself rather than seek the harm of another. But there will be times when to not oppose an evil person is actually not sacrificing yourself, but sacrificing others. So let me explain. If someone, an evil person, breaks into my home with ideas of harming my kids or my wife, love doesn't hand my family over to that person, stand by and feel sort of self-righteous in my pacifist ideals. No, love puts my body on the line to protect them. I'm still generous in hostility. You know, I don't seek to teach that scumbag a lesson but I seek to love my family. If I see someone being bashed, love may drive me to sacrifice my body by getting in there. Love is actually so much deeper and more complex than mere pacifism. Love might call me to give evidence in a court against someone so that justice is done and so that my neighbours are kept safe. Love may call me to sacrifice, put my body on the line by becoming a police officer. There's a time for physical resistance. There's a time for opposing an evil person. And those times are when it's not about personally seeking the harm of another person, but defending the weak and innocent. See, when you're defending the weak and, and the innocent by violence, it's not actually seeking the harm of others. What you're actually seeking is the well-being of the vulnerable now, don't get me wrong, in giving a defence of the use of force at times, we've, we've got to hear that when sons and daughters are personally attacked, Jesus says, we're not to hit back. We're not to avenge ourselves. Love says, I would prefer to be struck again than to seek the harm of the other person. That's huge, isn't it? But what follows is even broader and even more challenging. God wants sons and daughters who love their enemies. Have a look at verse 43. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. 
But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's funny that most of us, even just in wider Australian culture, like the sound of this on paper. But it's actually very hard to stomach when you have a real-life enemy. Remember, Jesus is speaking to people who are ruled by a hostile enemy. Jesus speaks to Jews and he says, love the invaders of your country. So that's extreme, isn't it? We might not have enemies like that, obvious people who've mistreated us terribly. And yet we do have enemies. Because you can have enemies like invading forces, but you can have personal enemies as well. Sometimes, I think it's an Australian cultural thing, you'll meet people and and they pretend that they're above having enemies, personal enemies. Like somehow they're immune from it. But look closely and our actions show that none of us are immune from it. We ignore some people, we mistreat some people, we subtly try and turn our friends against those we don't like. But even if we are lucky enough not to have enemies, we shouldn't be so naive as to think that that's because we're such agreeable people. Life will throw enemies at us and then we'll feel the weight of this passage. But even still, there's plenty to say about loving our enemies. So so let me start broad. There are people that society loves to hate, like politicians, right? But we can't be those who act as enemies to politicians with placards that say offensive things. We might disagree, we might even protest, but we can't be those who speak hatefully, who write poison letters or emails that are abrupt and rude. Are you guilty of that? Maybe you should follow up with another email and apologise. Instead, we need to be people who are praying for our leaders and encouraging them to do what's right. Then there are people in our society, um, people that our society doesn't love to hate, they just outright hate them. So criminals, Muslim extremists, JWs and Mormons, pedophiles, international phone scammers. But even people like this, Christians can't act as enemies to these people. We don't agree with them, we don't think that what they do is okay, but we must love them. Some people have made themselves the enemy of Christianity. Some atheists rage against Christians and they actually happily see themselves as the enemy to faith. They can twist things we say, they can try to make us look unintelligent. A couple of years back on Q&A, one atheist, well-known atheist, said that Christians who teach their kids that God made the world are guilty of child abuse. How do we respond? Well, Jesus says we've got to love them in return. Doesn't mean we don't defend ourselves. Doesn't mean we point out the problems in their arguments. Doesn't mean we don't argue vigorously. But we can't respond in hatred. When we come across a hostile atheist, we have to answer their hostility with love. So don't think that you can disrespect someone just because they disrespect God. Life throws potential enemies at us. There's the boss who takes advantage of you, the colleague who turns people against you, there's the neighbour who defines Bogan, hopefully Daryl's not feeling that rage at the moment, since we live next door. There's the business investment that goes pear-shaped because of someone's negligence, 
or the doctor who messes up the operation, the mother-in-law who hates you no matter what you do, or the husband who abandons you with the kids. Even still, we're called to love our enemies. Now remember, love's not about feelings. Love is about action. But at the same time, we've got to avoid the trap of hating them in our heart, but looking like we love them in what we do. That's being a Pharisee. God cares about our motivations. We don't have to feel good about our enemies, but we should genuinely desire what's good for them. This is hard stuff, isn't it? It's incredibly hard stuff. Like Brian said at the beginning, why would God want this? Well, it's because God wants sons and daughters who are like Him. Have a look in verse 45. Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus is not saying by loving our enemies we become children of God. We become sons and daughters of God. He's saying that by loving our enemies we become children like our Father. To love an enemy, to love someone who's hostile to me is to be like God, my Father. Now, I personally find this immensely encouraging. When I love an enemy, I'm being like God. I'm being like my Father. In verse 48, Jesus ends this section in the Sermon on the Mount by saying, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is a kind of summary of everything that he's just said. And it sounds completely impossible. But it's actually not something new. Deuteronomy 18, verse 13, says, You must be blameless before the Lord your God. The word blameless is the same as perfect. In our verse, we could easily replace blameless for perfect. It could say, You shall be blameless as your heavenly Father is blameless. The Old Testament frequently called on people to be blameless, and it called on people to be like God. So in Leviticus 19, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Is Jesus expecting that we'll be perfect and we'll never sin? Well, that wouldn't make sense. Not simply because none of us are, none of us ever have been or ever will be in this life, but because just a few verses later, what does he say? He says that we are to pray, forgive us our sins. Thank goodness for that verse. So what's this verse saying? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's saying that our calling is to be sons and daughters who are like our Father. When, when God is your Father, how else do you say, be like your Father, without saying, be perfect, be blameless? The call to be like God is a call to perfection because that's just what He's like. And one day, we will be perfected. Not because we'll finally achieve it ourselves, but because when Jesus returns, we'll be made perfect. But even still, in the meantime, our goal is still to be like our God. His character is our aim. This verse, just like all the ones before it, is saying that Jesus calls us to be sons and daughters of God and we should express that relationship in how we live. Did you know that Matthew calls God, the father of the disciples, 21 times in his book. So 21 times he says to the disciples that God is their father. 
Whereas in the book of Mark, he says it four times. You only read it four times. Um, John, once. It's a really strong emphasis that, Mark, uh, that Matthew is trying to show us. And did you know that of those 21 times, 16 occur in the Sermon on the Mount? 16 times Jesus calls God the Father of the disciples. See, everything in the Sermon on the Mount is to be understood as Jesus explaining the relationship between God as our Father and us as His sons and daughters. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, teaches what it means to be sons and daughters of God. He's teaching us what it looks like to be like our Father. And what's God like? Verse 45, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God loves His enemies. It's His Son. And yet He makes it shine on those who love Him and and those who don't. He sends rain on all people. The love of God is astounding. Everything good in this life comes from Him. Every single thing that you enjoy in your life comes from His hand. And yet, how do we repay God? How do we repay His love? Well, wouldn't you say that most of the time we repay God with insult? The insult of thanklessness or the insult of prizing the gift over the giver. The insult of ignoring Him or the insult of of misusing people around us that God loves. Or just the insult of thinking that we rule our own lives. And how does God respond to our insult? Well, He turns the other cheek. He sends good our way. He answers our hostility with generosity. We see what God is like in the face of Jesus. Jesus lives completely consistently with what He teaches here. Later in Matthew 26, 67, as we read before... Matthew reports, then they spat in Jesus' face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? And how does Jesus respond to their hate? He doesn't hit back. He doesn't even yell or threaten. He sacrifices himself rather than seek the harm of others. He sacrifices himself to make enemies of God, sons of and daughters of God. There's nothing in this world like the love of God. The God of this universe turns the other cheek to arrogant, sinful humans. The God of love gives His own divine Son for mere sinful, ungrateful creatures. It's like one Christian song says, hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. I mean, it's mind-blowing, life-changing love. And we're called to love like that, to be like the God who loves like that. That's incredibly hard, but it's incredibly thrilling. Do you know this God as your Father? I know that some of you don't yet. Is he calling you to become a son or a daughter? Listen to his call. Come follow Jesus with us. 
you'll stuff up like the rest of us. But he's so ready to forgive because this God is generous like no other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand astounded at your generosity. That though you are God, that you are all-powerful, that you are pure and cannot look on evil, nevertheless, you turn the other cheek to us. You bear our insult and still send good our way. Lord, you allowed Jesus your own son himself, God, to be struck by us humans, to have nails driven through his hand. You allowed us to mock him. And you did this to make enemies your children. Lord, your love is astounding. And we are overwhelmed, Father, that you call us to love like that. Lord, when we hear this calling... It drives us to say, forgive us our sins, Lord, because it is such a high and a wonderful calling that we fail all too often. And yet, Lord, help us to be like you. Help us in moments and decisions and times to love our enemies like you love them. Lord, to answer their hostility with generosity, whatever that looks like. Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit living within us, to want what you want, to be like Jesus. And to do this because we are expressing our relationship with you, knowing that you have made us sons and daughters because of what Jesus did for us on that cross. Lord, we stand amazed and in wonder and we thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.